um, a couple of thoughts that I've that I've had that um, over ever since had a conversation with Andrew here last Sunday. Um, a couple of thoughts, and I think they are those few thoughts are going to merge together. That is the hope uh, this morning. And I hope you'll stick with me because one of the one of the words that I've been one of the words I've been fascinated by and just thinking on over the last number of weeks and maybe even longer has been this idea of enchantment. And um and it's it's a uh, it's opposite, disenchantment. I'm not trying to pull at something that maybe that maybe is not there, but just listen to what David was sharing with us this just a few moments ago, um, really felt encouraged that maybe we could, this is something for us to, to, for us to look at. It's the idea of just rediscovering. It's this idea of just reimagining. It's this, this longing and this hope within me that we would be recaptivated, I suppose, once again by, by the story that we have been invited into. And so this idea of enchantment, and I know for some of you, maybe already you're thinking, like, where is he going? That's all about magic and mystery. This is, this is dodgy ground he's going to take us on, is it? But for me, this idea of enchantment is, uh, we're going to look at that for a moment, but this idea of the definition, the Collins Dictionary, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, whatever you look at it, the very first definition of enchantment is this feeling of great pleasure because something is outstandingly beautiful. The feeling of great pleasure because something is beautiful. It's this feeling of being captivated. This idea of enchantment, this feeling of being captivated. And so it's opposite. It's opposite. Disenchantment is the idea that you no longer believe that something, no longer believing in the value of something. And, uh, and part of me has meditated on that word over the last couple of weeks and I've often found myself like grieving over this idea that for some people in the church and even for those friends that are leading church and those that just are in, that, in this church world, ministry, whatever you want to call it, that we all are, should be a part of, um, overwhelmed almost with disappointment overwhelmed with disappointment that we are struggling to hold on to the value of something. Whether it's as far and as deep as faith or whether it's, whether it's church or whether it's relationships or whatever it is, just this overwhelming feeling of disappointment, of no longer believing the value of something. And there's a part of me, my prayer, and so I don't know if this is going to land with, with you this morning, but my prayer for myself has been this idea of 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 re-enchantment, just rediscovering once again, being caught up, being captivated once again by the, by the person of Jesus, by the story and the message of the gospel of the kingdom. That's where I want us to go, and, and I hope that you can come with me, because whenever, Andrew, uh, last week, um, he, uh, he talked a wee bit about J.R.R. Tolkien, and um, and so I couldn't for me for whatever reason I just couldn't get away from the, from just uh, looking a wee bit at 
who he was. So there's a podcast, actually, if anybody's interested in pushing this further, there's a podcast that 20, 25 minutes long called Tea with Tolkien. And, uh, and it's part of some of the episodes and it are fascinating. But anyway, um, and so, so if you're struggling to follow with me here, blame Andrew. But I, I do hope that there is something here for us to learn and to see maybe from what Tolkien's life was all about, I guess. And when he spoke about uh, these tales, this was these fairy tales, he's, a, he's written an essay called On Fairy Tales, and, he, and, and then these, these are tales of fantasy and they are enchanted lands. They're what Tolkien calls fairy stories. They're imaginative, creative fictions. And I think for some of us, we maybe struggle with this. Maybe some of us will struggle with this idea of enchantment because we think that enchantment is childish. We think this idea of fairy stories, we think this idea is childish and it's make-believe and it's not for us serious adults. This idea of talking about fairy stories and, 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 uh, and stories of enchantment and uh, fantasy not for, not for Sunday, not for church, because I think we think it's childish. I think that we think that it's, that it's just all make-believe, that it is not for us. We're too serious for that. But what I've, what I've loved about taking a look at Tolkien's heart, I think, is that he was not saying the power of these tales was that they were make-believe. The power of these tales were that they are practices of seeing and paying attention. And that's, that's, the, that's the idea, that's the trajectory that I want us to go on this morning. That, that's what I want us to take away. The importance of seeing, practices of seeing and paying attention. And for some of us, that might, this might feel like it's a wee bit childlike. Again, to talk about fantasy, to talk about enchantment. It might seem childlike, but don't forget what Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 3. What Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 3, I think is, is uh, probably one of the most understated statements that Jesus makes. One of the most underthought statements that Jesus makes when he says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I find that, like, I find that remarkable how... <laughs> how we can just so easily pass over that. And so some of what you're hearing me say this morning might seem childlike, might seem ridiculous, but remember what Jesus said. And catch the weight of what he's saying. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so I'm not wanting us to go off not want our experience to go off in some sort of fantasy make-believe world. It's not my hope. But I do want us to consider the real world for a moment. And the reality is, maybe you're different to me, but the reality is we can, our weeks can so often be burdened by boredom. Our weeks can so often be, our real life can so often be burdened by weariness. Burdened with boredom, burdened with weariness. Maybe some of you have found yourself in that place from the last time we met. You can dismiss this idea of enchantment and, and make-believe world, but 
let's let's look at the alternative, the real world, where we've become bored, burdened by boredom and weariness. Again, if I was to be really honest, it can sometimes feel that our weeks are just moving from one workday to the next workday. Sometimes our evening can feel like we're just moving from one Netflix series to the next Netflix series. And there's a problem for me, and there's, it's the importance, again, I think we touched on it last week, Andrew, the, the, the importance, huge importance and value of being self-aware. And I become really self-aware when I realize even my relationships become affected by a taken-for-granted feeling. It's so easily take for granted the relationships that we have around us. The gift of relationship. In the real world, we can become so burdened by weariness that we're just moving from one workday to the next, one series to the next, one screen to the next. And even our very relationships we can take for granted. And my struggle is that we, that I, I feel like I struggle to regain contact with awe, with surprise, and with wonder. I think that's why this, this idea of just being re-enchanted or being re-captivated, whatever word suits you, whatever word fits for you. But what we're saying, what I'm saying is that we can so often struggle to regain, to take hold of the, of the surprise and the wonder and the awe. And that's what I've appreciated about Tolkien, is that he is saying that enchantment is, is recovering. It helps us to recover these lost feelings. Enchantment helps us to recover these lost feelings of surprise, of wonder, of awe. And so these stories that the Tolkien tells and that our kids get so invested in and love, it's because, and I, and I want to value them and honor them because they are practices of seeing and paying attention. Enchantment is rediscovering the world. Enchantment is a reminder that God is present everywhere. And that very thought over the last couple of years has just been such an unveiling for me. This idea that God is present everywhere. It helps when it comes to this conversation. When I know that he is present in nature. When I know that he is present around, around our tables when I know that he's present, when we look out for the needs of one another, he is present. He is present everywhere. And enchantment helps me to rediscover that, to see that again. To, to not see the world as it is, but to see it as we were meant to see it. And there's something about this unveiling, this reminder, this acknowledgement that, that he is everywhere. That in him we live and move and have our being, as Paul said in Acts 17, and he is not far from any one of us. That, that, that's one thing that we can discover and know in our heads. But when, once that affects our heart, once that affects our eyes and our ears, something shifts, something is different when we, when we acknowledge and we take hold and we stop and pay attention that he is present. Those are the moments over the last year that I have uh, encounter God in a way that, that normally it may be in a worship service or maybe it would be in the scriptures. But for me, it has been stopping, paying attention and looking around me and being able to say, God is present everywhere here. As I walk through my community, as I walk around my neighborhood and engage with my neighbors, 
something wonderful about about just rediscovering just my mind coming alive again to the fact that he's present everywhere. He's here. Richard Beck says that when we know something, it loses its capacity to surprise and startle us. Life becomes factual and objectified, stripped of its magic and mystery. And then he quotes Tolkien. As Tolkien says, the things which once attracted us by their glitter or their color or their shape lost their magic when we laid hands on them and then locked them in our hoard. And in doing so, we ceased to look and we lost our willingness to see. And I don't know if that's your experience. I don't know if you're relating to any of that, but for me, that it just resonates so much with me. Because I give so much of my attention, I give so much of my life to, to reading and to study and to wider reading and to wider study. Sometimes you feel like you've known, you know something in here. You know something intellectually. But somehow, it, the more that you study it, the more that you know it, it feels like it, it loses its capacity to surprise and to startle. To leave in a place of wonder and awe. I read about talking, talking about the, just the colour green. Just like, just look at green and rediscover once again. It's like how incredible green is. He talks about that here in this quote. The things that once attracted to us, the glitter or their colour or their shape, they've all lost their magic. They've all lost their meaning when we laid hands and locked them in our hoard. We took like became really possessive over it. We ceased to look and we lost our willingness to see. And again for me, enchantment is something that involves reconnecting your head to your heart. Again, this is really important for me. Enchantment involves reconnecting your head to your heart. And so one of the verses that I'd love us to to think about, one of the takeaway verses I'd love for you to, to, to consider and meditate on over the next few days is Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16. And Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls and so I suppose for me this is the place when it comes to um, just considering enchantment this idea of just being able to stop and listen and pay attention something about Jeremiah I'm reading through Jeremiah at the minute and, uh, and there was something about this verse that that just caught my attention and, and this I think this is the call for us. I think the part of me feels like this is the challenge for us as, as a church, in the wider church. That in this moment of uncertainty and in these days of still confusion and what's next, what, what do we do now, what are we here for, all of those questions, I think Jeremiah's word from the Lord feels really pertinent at the minute and they stand stand at the crossroads and look 
And sometimes we can be so we can be so aware and so con- conscious of the path. We we know where to go. We know we know when it gets to the crossroad where to turn. We know when it gets to the third or fourth song that we're gonna we're gonna close in prayer, and I'm gonna come up and speak. We know the path. We know the well-worn path. And sometimes without even thinking, we just like we just do it. We wake up in the morning and we, we do our devotions because that's the path that we're that we're on. We don't need to stop and look because we have went down this path before. And I'm just wondering, is there a chance, is there an opportunity for us to take heed of this word, stand at the crossroads and look? And I felt as I felt I was just gonna leave it there and and, uh, and as I just continued to hold this verse, became really conscious of the next line, ask for the ancient paths. And I love how Eugene Peterson translates it in the message version. He talks about the tried and true road. And it had me thinking, it had me casting my mind back to uh, probably a year ago when in our midweeks we went through 12 spiritual disciplines or 12 spiritual practices. What I, love about the, what I love about the disciplines is that they are invitations, they're not obligations. The spiritual disciplines, these practices that we talked about, they're not obligations, but they're invitations. They are ways of being with God. They're ways of stopping and listening and paying attention. They are not ways of appeasing him. And sometimes we just maybe need to rethink, reimagine our, our disciplines. They're not ways of appeasing God. They're not obligations, but they're invitations and there are ways of being with him. And all that we looked at, the 12 disciplines that we looked at, m- most of them are tried and they're true. They've been, they've been tested. They've been, they've been what our church fathers come right back to the very beginning, give their lives to. It's tried, it's tried and it's trusted. And so as we stand and look, as we stand at the crossroads and look, I'm suggesting that maybe you go back to the disciplines and you rediscover, you reimagine you find ways that you can once again use these invitations, these these invitations, these practices um, to, to recaptivate, to stop long enough at the crossroads to look and ask for the ancient paths. The disciplines, I think, these practices are a gift to us. They are a gift to us to stop and to look and to pay attention. And so just for these last few moments, I'd love us to consider Jesus and how he, he just always seemed to be captivated. He never seemed to lose that sense of awe and wonder. Like he knew, he knew everything. Like we, we, could, we could be pretty confident that at 30, Jesus had grew in wisdom and knowledge and, and uh, he knew it all, but it never stopped him from it never stopped him from prioritizing time to be with God. It didn't stop him from, from getting to the crossroads and stopping and looking and paying attention. And we watched Jesus over and over again, and we've talked about it many times, how he stopped and he paid attention. It was his practice. It was the practice of prayer that is, um, that is so attractive in the life of Jesus. When in the midst of all the busyness, in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all of what's happening next, he stopped and he paid attention to the voice of his Father, to the heart of Father God. 
And I love his how he stops at the crossroads and he pays attention to uh, the needs of the rejected and the isolated, and the marginalised. We see it in John chapter 4, which we looked at a number of weeks ago, the woman at the well. We see the significance of Jesus stopping and listening and paying attention. Um, Mark chapter 5 is is another place where Jesus, um, I think Judith brought us here a number of weeks back, the woman uh, who had been, who'd who'd been bleeding for 12 years and spent all her money. She touched Jesus' garment when he was on his way. He was, he was busy. He was on his way somewhere. But he, he knew, he recognized that someone had reached out and touched him. And so even though it, it was, there, was an, there was urgency to get to the next place, to do the next thing, to go off, to go on this path that was being laid out for him to get to Jairus' daughter, he stops and he pays attention and he looks to see. Mark 5 verse 32, Jesus kept looking around to see who had touched him. He paid attention. He was looking to see. I love Mark chapter 10, verse 49. Um, it's a story of blind Bartimaeus. And uh, Bartimaeus on the side of the road, begging, longing for someone to acknowledge him, longing for someone to stop and to pay attention and to see him. Because all he knew, all he experienced was what we read here. Everybody was rebuking him. Everybody was telling him to be quiet. Bartimaeus, would you pipe down? Jesus is coming through. He's no time for the likes of you. And verse 49. Like I, I found, even now, I just find myself so emotional reading this. Like Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped and looked like who is calling my name, who is crying out for mercy. And there was a cry of, of Bartimaeus' heart, Lord, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. He paid attention. And so what fascinates me about Jesus is not just how he listened in life, but also who he listened to. I think all of that is great, a great challenge for us. And then finally, John chapter 1, verse 46. This is, this is the place that I'd love to be at. And I think of the response of Philip whenever he... Uh, Philip in John chapter 1, verse 46. Philip is telling Nathaniel about the one that Moses wrote about. He's telling them this is the one that we've been waiting for. And Nathaniel asks that famous question, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip's response is not to give a five-point sermon. It's not to give him all of his knowledge and all his intellect, all that he knows. Philip's response to Nathaniel is, come and see. And that's why, that's why being recaptivated for me is so important. Getting once to that place of being caught up by the awe and the wonder of, of, the, of Jesus and what he has done. 
Because if we're going to be the ones that go into our communities and our families and, and whoever, if we were to be ones that say, rather than give, give our polished sermons or our polished preaches, and all, of that, all of that's important. I'm not saying that it's not. But what would it look like if, if your response to people was come and see? Come and see the transformation that's, be, that's been made. Come and see what he has done. Come and see what he's doing. Come and be around me and our church long enough and you'll see what he's doing. That's a challenge. Come and see. So when we, the, the, the challenge, I think the call for us is that we would rediscover wonder and awe. And I think that will happen. I think there's part of that is inevitable when we stop long enough and we pay attention. Whenever we come with a willingness to see. Some of us have just been, been in and around the life of the church and all of that for so long that we've almost stopped looking. What would it be like if we came again with a willingness to see? And I, I, I started reading this book. Um, I started reading this book last week called Recapturing the Wonder. I'm only a couple of chapters into it. Um, but the subtitle is A Transcendent Faith in a Disenchanted World. And I think that's really important. But I, have almost, I would love that there was a, a book or there was some chapters that were written for a re-enchantment of faith in a disenchanted church. Because I think even within the church we can become overwhelmed with disappointment. We can just keep going the same well-worn path and lose our willingness to see. Have lost our sense of wonder and our sense of awe. And so my heart, from my, I'm praying this for myself, just be just a re-enchantment of faith, a rediscovering of awe and wonder. And so I don't know what, what paying attention is going to look like for you, but I'm urging you to do it, whether it's in the one of these practices, one of these disciplines, whether it's in paying attention to your neighbours and discovering where is he at work, if I had eyes to see and ears to hear. Maybe it's, for, maybe it's in nature. You know, for some, it's, it's going to be in nature where you'll rediscover wonder and awe. Or maybe it's going to be in reading some of Tolkien, some of his incredible stories. Maybe you're going to stop and be willing to see and pay attention and rediscover wonder and awe. Um, let me pray. Father, I uh, thank you for, I thank you for Jesus and I thank you for his example of looking and paying attention. How that changed, how he seen, how it changed, how he heard. Radically affected not only the how but the who. And so, Father, in all of this, I just pray that we would once again be enchanted. We would feel the pleasure in something that is remarkably beautiful. We behold you, Jesus, and we behold the cross. And we behold the empty tomb. We behold an ascended Jesus. We behold one who is
yet still present with us everywhere. Behold all of that. I pray that will just become so remarkable to us once again. That enchantment would reconnect our head to our heart. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the chance to be together. We pray that we, you forgive me, you forgive us for when we take those, those relationships, those people for granted. We, I just thank you for each person in this room. Thank you for the joy that they bring to you and thank you for the joy that they bring to one another. And uh, so God, would you bless us this day, bless us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.